0: Chapter Four of No Great Magic by Fritz Liber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: To Dream of New Dimensions, Cheating Checkmate by Painting the King's Robe So That He Slides Like a Queen. Graves. I swung back to the play just at the moment Lady Mac soliloquizes, "Come to my woman's breasts." and take my milk for gall you murdering ministers although i knew it was just folded towel martin was touching with his fingertips as he lifted them to the top half of his green bodice i got carried away he made it so real i decided boys can play girls better than people think maybe they should do it a little more often and girls play boys too then sid macbeth came back to his wife from the wars looking triumphant but scared, because the murder ideas started to smolder in him, and she got busy fanning the blaze like any other good little housefrau, intent on her husband rising in the company and knowing that she's the power behind him, and that when there are promotions someone's always got to get the axe. Sid and Martin made this charming little domestic scene so natural, yet gutsy too, that i wanted to shout hooray even sid clutching martin to that ridiculous pie-chested curio, didn't have one note of horseplay in it their bodies spoke it was the mccoy after that the play began to get real good the fast tempo and exaggerated facial expressions actually helping it by the time the dagger scene came along i was digging my fingernails into my sweaty palms which was a good thing—my eating up the play, I mean—because it kept me from looking at the audience again, even taking a fast peek. As you've gathered, audiences bug me. All those people out there in the shadows, watching the actors in the light—all those silent voyeurs, as Bruce calls them—why, they might be anything. And sometimes, to my mind-wavery sorrow, I think they are. Maybe crouching in the dark out there hiding among the others is the one who did the nasty thing to me that tore off the top of my head anyhow if i so much as glance at the audience i begin to get ideas about it and sometimes even if i don't as just at this moment i thought i heard horses restlessly pawing hard ground and one whinny, though that was shut off fast krishna crestus i thought city can't have hired horses for nefer elizabeth much as he's a circus man at heart we don't have that kind of money besides but just then sid macbeth gasped as if he were sucking in a bucket of air he'd shed the cuirass fortunately he said is this a dagger which i see before me the handle toward my hand and the play hooked me again and i had no time to think about or listen for anything else Most of the off-stage actors were on the other side of the stage, as that's where they make their exits and entrances at this point in the second act. I stood alone in the wings, watching the play like a bug, frightened only of the horrors Shakespeare had in mind when he wrote it. Yet the play was going great. The dagger scene was terrific, where Duncan gets murdered off-stage, and so was the part afterwards where hysteria mounts as the crime's discovered. But just at this point I began to catch notes I didn't like. Twice someone was late on entrance and came on as if shot from a cannon, and three times at least Sid had to throw someone a line when they blew up. In the clutches Sid's better than any prompt book. It began to look as if the play were getting out of control, maybe because the new tempo was so hot. But they got through the murder scene okay. As they came trooping off, yelling, "'Well-contented,' most of them on my side for a change, I went for Sid with a towel. He always sweats like a pig in the murder scene. I mopped his neck and shoved the towel up under his doublet to catch the dripping armpits. Meanwhile he was fumbling around on a narrow table where they lay props and costumes for quick changes. Suddenly he dug his fingers into my shoulder, enough to catch my attention at this point, meaning i'd show bruises tomorrow and yelled at me under his breath as you love me my crows and robes presto i was off like a flash to the costumery there were mr and mrs Max's king and queen robes and stuff hanging and sitting just where i knew they'd have to be i snatched them up thinking boy they made a mistake when they didn't tell about this special performance and i started back like flash too As I shot out the dressing-room door, the theater was very quiet. There's a short, low-pitched scene on stage, then, to give the audience a breather. I heard Miss Nefer say loudly—'It had to be loud to get to me from even the front of the audience—'Tis a good-bloody play, eyes!" And some voice I didn't recognize reply a bit grudgingly, "'There's meat in it, and some poetry, too, though rough-wrought.' She went on, still as loudly as if she owned the theater. "'Twill make Master Kidd bite his nails with jealousy. Ha, ha, ha! ha, yourself, you seen-stealing witch, I thought, as I helped Sid and then Martin on with their royal outer duds. But at the same time I knew Sid must have written those lines himself to go along with his prologue. They had the unmistakable, rough-wrought Lessingham touch did he really expect the audience to make anything of that reference to Shakespeare's predecessor Thomas Kidd of the Spanish tragedy and the lost Hamlet and if they knew enough to spot that wouldn't they be bound to realize the whole Elizabeth Macbeth tie-up was anachronistic but when Sid gets an inspiration he can be very bull-headed just then while Bruce banco was speaking his broody low soliloquy on stage Miss Nefer cut in again loudly with, "Ay, ay, is a good bloody play." Yet somehow methinks I know not how I've heard it before. Whereupon Sid grabbed Martin by the wrist and hissed, "D'ist here? Oh, I like not that!" And I thought, "Oh ho!" So now she's beginning to ad lib. Well, right away they all went on stage with a flourish. Sid and Martin crowned and hand in hand the play got going strong again but there were still those edge-of-control undercurrents and i began to get more uneasy than caught up and i had to stare consciously at the actors to keep off a wavery fit other things began to bother me too such as all the doubling macbeth's a great play for doubling for instance anyone except macbeth or Banco can double one of the three witches or one of the three murderers for that matter Normally we double at least one or two of the witches and murderers, but this performance there'd been more multiple parting than I'd ever seen. Doc had whipped off his Duncan beard and thrown on a brown smock and hood to play the porter with his normal bottle-roughened accents. Well, a drunk impersonating a drunk pretty appropriate. But Bruce was doing the next door to impossible double of Bonko and Macduff using a ringing tenor voice for the latter, and wearing in the murder scene a helmet which dropped visor to hide his Banco beard. He'd be able to tear it off, of course, after the murderers got Banco, and he'd made his brief appearance as a bloodied-up ghost in the banquet scene. I asked myself, my God, has City got all the other actors out in front playing courtiers to Elizabeth Nefer, wasting them that way? The horse and rogues gone nuts. But really it was just plain frightening, all that frantic doubling and tripling with its suggestion that the play, and the company too, Freyda forfend, was becoming a rickety patchwork illusion with everybody racing around faster and faster to hide the holes. And the scenery wavery stuff and the warped park sounds were scary too. I was actually shivering by the time Sid got to— light thickens and the crow makes wing to the rookie wood good things of day begin to droop and drowse while night's black agents to their praise do rouse those graveyard lines didn't help my nerves any of course nor did thinking i heard nefer elizabeth say from the audience rather softly for her this time eyes i have heard that speech i know not where think you tis stolen Greta, I told myself, "'you need a mill-town before the crow makes wing through your kooky head.' I turned to go and fetch me one from my closet, and stopped dead. Just behind me, pacing back and forth, like an ash-colored tiger in the gloomy wings, looking daggers at the audience every time she turned to that end of her invisible cage, but ignoring me completely, was Miss Nefer, in the Elizabeth wig and rig. Well I suppose I should have said to myself, Greta, you imagine that last loud whisper from the audience. Miss Neffers simply unkinked herself, waved a hand to the real audience and come backstage. Maybe Sid just had her go out there for the first half of the play, or maybe she just couldn't stand watching Martin give such a bang-up performance in her part of Lady Mac. Yes. Maybe I should have told myself something like that, but somehow all I could think then—and I thought it with a steady mounting shiver—was, we got two Elizabeths. This one is our witch-nefer, I know, I dressed her, and I know that devil look from the Virginals. But if this is our Elizabeth, the company Elizabeth, the stage Elizabeth, who's the other? And because I didn't dare to let myself think of the answer to that question, I dodged around the invisible cage that the ash-colored skirt seemed to ripple against as the Tiger Queen turned, and I ran into the dressing room, my only thought, to get behind my New York City screen. End of chapter 4